The Weekly Harvest, an in-depth look at the Brandon Weekings and the WHL. Washman trying to come up with it for Allison. Here's Allison right in front. He scores! Brandon Junior Hockey fans, you've waited two decades for this. In the league's 50th anniversary, your Weekings are the champions. Welcome to episode 27 of the Weekly Harvest Podcast. My name is Chris Falco, uh, Director of Game Day Operations with the Brandon Wheat Kings. Also, though, a uh, announcer, Star FM and Q Country. The podcast brought to you by Q Country 91.5, today's best country. Also, make sure to check out Q Country, Westman TV Channel 600, Alexa, Google Play, always streaming. And you can find this podcast, uh, Westman News Update Podcast. I know I go check that one out also online, QCountryFM.ca. It's all up there for you, including all the previous episodes of this, the Weekly Harvest. This week, Brandon Crow, Voice of the Wee Kings, episode 27. We've got a very familiar face uh, uh, to you and I and to a lot of Wee King fans, and uh, one guy that has become quickly in the years that he's been here, one of the more uh, I- important guys in terms of uh, the historical gathering of information of the team, Perry Bergson. How are you, first of all, Crow? I'm good. Uh, I know you were out at the lake uh, fishing with your boys uh, over the last couple of days. Uh, I've had a much different couple of days. Uh, I played in the Burt Cup, uh, the uh, IG Wealth Management Burt Cup put on by Tyler Crayson and the crew at Brandon University on Friday at Shiloh. Uh, I played nine holes here in Verdon first, then went and played 18 in Shiloh, uh, and then went, came home and played slow pitch. So uh, it was a busy day. Slow pitch again today. Got the lawn mowed. Got the, got the chickens all settled in i got a couple of eggs finally so my funny farm's starting to produce and uh, it's been a busy weekend but uh i'm excited to have perry on and for those of you that are just listening to this uh you should know that perry is wearing one of his classic hawaiian shirts and it's unbuttoned right down to the middle of his chest so uh, he hasn't changed one bit since covid set in bergson what's been going on in your world well it's just been trying to find things to write about without sports. You know, when you're a sports writer, you sort of get used to covering events. And obviously, I haven't had many since mid-March. So I've had to improvise. And I think you've seen some of the fruits of my labor. So first of all, you know that the podcast is also being video recorded, correct? <laughs> As Crow mentioned with your shirt. I completely wore this shirt to throw you two lads off your game. <laughs> I love it. I love it, especially because of the backdrop. That Again, people who are listening can't tell. But right now, Perry, we are recording this, actually. So it's Sunday night, and Perry is hard at work. He is down in the Brandon Sun archives, literally in the archives, taking time away. So uh, I know that you're working on some stories uh, literally uh, late here before a press deadline, which we're going to talk about. But do appreciate that, and we don't mean to, 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 to mock what you're wearing by any means. I do. You know what? What sits behind me is 138 years of Brandon's history. Paper started in 1882. Just think about that. Everything that's happened since Brandon became a city, you know, has been reflected in our newspaper. Is there, I guess, my question then for that, uh, starting on a topic I, I didn't expect to go down, what what protects that? Are, are you guys digitizing that? Or, I mean, anything can happen. We've seen floods. We've seen fires. We've seen, you know, vandalism. What What's protecting that paper? Have you scanned it all into a computer, or how is that kept safe? I believe everything has been scanned. Uh, the thing that worries me a little bit is our negatives. Uh, I've sort of taken a little bit of charge of that lately just because I use so many of them for my alumni features that I write. Um, And we actually had some water dripping on the inside of this building. 
it's an old building. And just think of the fire we had a couple summers back. That it was close to where you guys were for sure. Yeah, it was close. Yeah, because the vendor out across the street from us, and the fire was uh, northwest of us. So we easily could have gone too, and all this history would have gone with it. But uh, yeah, with this huge rainfall we had, we had some rain inside the building too. So I was busy kind of moving negatives and making sure we didn't lose any of that stuff. So we touched on the part of Brandon history. Oh, for sure. And you touch on the history and that to me has been the biggest part of, you know, our relationship and, and you jumping on the broadcast, uh, you know, in the pregame show, one third of the three headed monster that is you, me and Pete on, on Q Country's radio broadcast. But your historical knowledge, I mean, you grew up in the area. Of course, you spent some time in PA, but the, the, the amount of research you've done on your alumni series, we've talked about it before. Uh, at any point in your young career, did you think that you'd have a collection and kind of a series of articles that you do? Because what are you at now? You've got to be, you're in the hundreds, aren't you? Yeah, well, I'm actually going to break some news here. Ryan Pollock is tomorrow's alumni feature. He'll be number 125 in the series. You know, this all sort of stems back to when I was at university. I was a double major in history and English. I love history. And I'm as you know, amazed and interested in the history of the Brandon Wheat Kings as I am in the present. Because, you know, you get some of those guys on who are in their 50s, 60s, 70s. I talked to one guy who was in his 80s. You know, that that's a different world that they played in. And it's fascinating to learn how being a Brandon Wheat King impacted everything that came after. Now, when you were last on, we were uh, you were on uh, number one thirteen. So you've done twelve in the time that we've done however many podcasts. Are you finding? Because I remember at that time you said that some of the leads were starting to dry up. That you were starting to have to do a little more digging, a little more research. Has uh, this whole COVID thing has that made it a little easier? That more people maybe have been willing to to kind of get in touch, or their time has been a little more free, or you've been able to find them because you've had more time. Well, they're at home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Generally expect that they're at home. You know what? I hit a vein in the early 70s that fascinates me. That's those guys that played in the Manex Arena and then moved into the Keystone to start the 72-73 season. And it's like a different world back then. Everything was different. Like Robbie Neal uh, was part of that team. Ron Pronchuk, uh, you know, Ed Kachuk, um, Rick Pichet, Ron Pronchuk, yeah. All those guys played on that team, and they all had these fascinating stories. It was such a different world then. Uh, one of the guys was telling me a story about, uh, oh, that was Gordy Paddock, was telling me about Beck Sangster. They lost to Winnipeg one time, and Winnipeg was way behind them in the standings. So they showed up the rink the next morning and practiced for a long time without a puck. And when they got tired of skating in the one direction back and forth, and one of them complained, and Sangster had them skate the other way. Uh, and they uh, ran some stairs, had lunch, came back and practiced, and then the power skating uh, instructor came in. So some of those guys were on the ice for eight or nine hours. Now, of course, you'd go to jail for doing that now, but uh, it's just funny hearing stories like that. Those stories are the absolute best. Uh, I've always wanted, and I've been bugging you to do this one for a while, our current bus driver is Ray Butterworth, and he played for the Wheat Kings back in the first two years uh, in the WCHLs. I think it was 67-68 before he was traded to Flin Flon. Uh, Where is he on your list of potential stories? I know he doesn't have a cell phone, but he's one of the best 
bus drivers in the Western Hockey League and a, just a great storyteller. Have you reached out to him at any point? I have not yet, but we have talked about it, and I will get him at some point. I, I've just I got a bunch of guys on my list right now. I'm doing my interviews for my next two guys probably tomorrow and the day after. I don't want to talk a lot about them until I get nope. them, you know, until the interviews are done. But uh, two more, you know, older characters from Brandon Sun history who are going to add a, an awful lot. One coach and one draft NHL drafted player. Are there any players on the list that you've been trying to get for a while that you just still can't track down that maybe somehow the podcast might also help or somehow we could? Like, is there anybody that you're still like, how can I not find where this person is? Bobby House. If someone can find me Bobby House, I desperately want to talk to him. I put it out on Twitter a couple of times. Um, Now, Twitter has been a big help. I wanted to talk to Rob Neal for a couple of years, one of the superstars of Brandon's son, or Brandon Weekings history, rather, in the early 70s. So I put the call out there, and like 15 minutes later, his brother responds to me, and I have his number. It just meant to be. But Bobby House is one of those guys I've never been able to track down. And, of course, he came in the Marty Murray trade, so he would be a fascinating guy to talk to, I think. Certainly, uh, Twitter, social media, Facebook, uh, it's amazing how quickly you can get in contact with anybody at this point, uh, especially for all that you were doing. And we talked about history. Uh, I was telling you early on when this whole COVID thing was beginning and, and being kind of stuck at home and not really knowing what was going on. Uh, I don't have a subscription to the Brandon Sun. I do pick up the paper during the season, uh, but not normally in the summer. Uh, but I was hooked on your championship reflection. Now, this was a year before I started with the team, uh, but I was a big fan and, and followed along with the first couple of games against Seattle in the finals. Uh, what? How much went into that? Because I know you've texted Chris and I about the amount of hours spent transcribing interviews, but it was a 17-part series that you had to put on paper. Was that the biggest mountain you've had to climb in your journalistic world? Well, the 125-part alumni series is the biggest, but a single project, yeah, that is for sure. By the time I finished transcribing and doing my pre-write on stuff, I had more than 50,000 words. I had more than 12 hours of interviews, uh, 23 interviews I did. I got uh, Ivan Provorov after I actually had it finished, and if Provy calls you, you get him in. Um, Nolan Patrick was the other late guy that I got. Um it was fantastic. You know, it was a lot of fun. It was stressful because I put a, an artificial deadline for myself that was probably pretty silly. Uh, but I, I reckon probably it was 80 or 90 hours I put into assembling that. And it ran, because it was a long weekend, we had five papers that week, then six, then six. So I structured it so that it ran 17 parts. I don't know. I, I really thought that what would happen is it would build as it went. And people would read one or two of them and then want to read the next days. And from all indications, that's exactly what happened. And, I was absolutely hooked. And I it, loved it. It's one of those ones that I've heard from people, too, that they caught on late. And all of a sudden, they're trying to find the back copies. And it's a great way to sell digital subscriptions to the brand and such so that they have to go back and they have to read them. Uh, and even for those who are listening right now who, who did not read this, I mean, put some time aside. Because now, thankfully, it is compiled into one nice, super long read that you can just kind of go and peruse and enjoy and, and, and take your time with. But, yeah, it was fun to follow along. And, I mean, even somebody who was with the team working that season i mean granted yeah i'm not with the the players 
every day, uh, you know, like on the community side and doing the business side and all the, the fun stuff. But being there that year, still thought that I knew at least most of it. But man, every single every single one of your stories, it has stuff. I was like, man, what that happened? Like it was it was incredible. It was such a year. The one thing Perry that you didn't talk about that I really wish was going to make it was our behind-the-scenes reaction in Seattle about how you almost went out the fire exit door, causing the alarm to go off in Kent while we were rushing down to get on ice after the Wheat Kings won. I forgot all about that. (laughs) We we were so excited after the Wheat Kings won. I got the whole video because we were doing the sights and sounds. We've never released this part of it because it's so insider. But I literally pushed record, and uh, we're running down the stairs, me, Matt, and Perry. And Perry, we're there for uh, for how many games? He almost went outside the door and would have locked himself out and went out the fire exit with the alarm. (laughs) And then me and Matt like, no, Perry, wrong door. One more flight. Go down the stairs and then boom, out on the ice. So... You're I'm welcome for I'm that, still, by the way. I'm lucky I'm still not wondering Rexall plays from the 2016 playoffs because I got down in the bowels there and it was spinal tap. <laughs> I thought I was going to we got to get you a, you know, the old train conductors had the pocket watch. We need to get you like a pocket compass so you can carry around so you don't get lost in these big buildings. I have to joke. <laughs> Because we love joking with you, Perry, uh, when the commissioner of the Western Hockey League, Ron Robinson, had his press conference, uh, and you were you went to ask your question, and you were muted on the Zoom call, and your phone was the wrong direction, Falco texted me right away and was like, look at Perry, and Fraser Rogers and PG was like, leave it to Perry to screw up his Zoom <laughs> call, and everybody was having fun with you. But that was an interesting day. Uh, there was a ton of media. We were listening to the commissioner talk. I'm going to leave it open-ended. What were some of your takeaways from what Commissioner Ron Robison said in his return-to-play press conference? A couple of things. Number one, one of the things, one of the points he made was that every market would have to have 50% attendance or more in its building, all 22 of them. And that is just hard to see in early October. Um, Things are getting worse in the States, not better. You know, 15,000 cases in Florida alone yesterday – you have to wonder. I, I just I don't know how things open up under those parameters where you're like, I guess maybe if you get the American teams just to play the American teams and, you know, BC's coming into Alberta and Manitoba and Saskatchewan divisional play, that I think is possible. But the way that he uh, laid it out that day, I just don't see it. What about you two? I mean, I've, 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 I've said this before. Again, I'm not on the decision side. So even though I work for the team, nobody can take this more than, than just me voicing. But I, I'm with you. I think that at this point, at least when you look at the numbers and the borders, it's going to be really hard to justify opening, especially the U.S. border. Like the fact there's the U.S. division is going to make it really hard for all of us to open up and do the normal scheduling with the travel. We're not the professional sports league. We can't do the bubble. You can't do the quarantining. Um, we have to be able to play in the buildings and we don't have the TV right. You need to be able to sell that 50% or else there just is no business to play this game. Um, so it, it needs to happen. Um, if that means that you need to play this crazy schedule for one year, I'd be fully on board. It, you know, as much as we joked about, you know, seeing Winnipeg how many times last year, about how many times we'd see them if we did that this year. 
at least it would be hockey. If we could play Winnipeg and Saskatchewan a whole bunch of times and, and again, do some inter-provincial play for this, again, extraordinary circumstances just to make something work. Um, otherwise, if we have to wait for everybody to be on the same page, I'm the same thing as you. I'm a little skeptical about that date. But at the same time, I'm very optimistic and I want to stay positive because I like having that date just for my own mentality. Just to say, like, okay, this is the target. This is the date. Like, we can we can still do it. You talked about Florida. Okay, Florida's way down there. Let's focus on Washington and Oregon. So I'm looking at some of their numbers, and they are starting to manage. They're doing a lot better in the southern states. So is it is it all golden? No. But at the same time, I'm really happy that in Manitoba, as of this recording, we're now, what, 11 days without a reported 12. case? 12. It's absolutely incredible. Loving this. Let's keep it up. I've got, uh, right now, again, for the people in the video mask, I know that we've only got that many cases. Like, I see a lot of these masks around. It's awesome. Like, let's try and keep it that way, too, right? So don't be afraid to wear a mask, even though, because there is no cases. You're like, well, it's not here. It might be, we don't know. Let's just keep it going. Keep it low. It's been awesome. And as long as that that happens, I'm, I'm hopeful that in October, even if it's not the U.S. team's coming here, there's going to be some kind of hockey played, hopefully. For me, I, I, I'm certainly not selfish in the fact that I, you know, desperately want hockey because I want to be on the radio. I mean, obviously, I, that's what I want to do. But to me, I, I feel the most, you know, upset about would be the guys in their 20 year old season, or they, you know, for example, Marcus Sekundiak or Lyndon McCallum or you know Luca Burzan, who's been basically one of the most exciting weekings to watch since he arrived in, in the trade with Moose Jaw. So you got. These guys that now, I mean, we, we said it was sad enough that Connor Gutenberg had his season just end on a Friday. Like, that was it. Uh, you know, his entire career, all the awards and all the franchise uh, games played, everything just stopped. And that was it, right? So, and it carries on for me to the 20-year-olds and the overagers moving into next year. I mean, there's so much uncertainty. Um, you know, unfortunately for them, uh, if there isn't a season or if it's delayed and they're only half a season, whatever the case, it's kind of a... a um, uh, for lack of better terms, kind of a shitty way to have your career end. I mean, uh, for us, we're you know we're going to write for the paper, we're going to work for the team, we're going to be the radio guy for how many years moving forward. But some of these guys, their junior hockey careers, their clock is ticking, and you know what? Yeah, they're going to move on to college and get jobs and probably have kids and whatever else, and life will go on. But it's still that time that's going to get you know potentially taken away from these guys that. That's what upsets me the most about the thought of not having a season. Uh, you know, I, I've joked around in the last couple of weeks about how I've picked up a, a part-time gig at the golf course in, here in Verdon, and I'm running into a lot of weekend season ticket holders. Every day they're asking me, what's going on, what's going on? And they're all understanding of, hey, you know what? We get it. There might not be hockey right away. We might have to wait till January. But if it's at the expense of, you know, if playing hockey is going to put people at risk, especially in Brandon where you've got a probably a, an aging fan base uh where your your season ticket holders are in the you know 45 to 70 range the majority of them if those are the people that are most at risk if that if playing hockey means that they're going to be in a risky situation i think most people understand it but again cautiously optimistic but it's certainly uh, going to be interesting to see how it plays out i i know perry you're not i mean you're a hockey fan but you're not much of a follower of the nhl by way of watching games unless it's kind of checking in on former weekends but Compared to maybe the other sports like Major League Baseball and the NBA, do you think the NHL is is pushing too hard to return to play under the current circumstances, or you know, what's your opinion on that? Well, now you're starting to see guys opt out of yeah. playing. Um, 
So that that shows me that even some of those guys are concerned. Including former Wheat King Travis Hamannick. Yeah, but to take this back to the WHL just for a sec, let's say you live in Minnedosa and have a 17-year-old son who's a member of the Seattle Thunderbirds or the Portland Winterhawks. You've got a really serious decision to make about whether that young man reports to that team. And that's one of the questions that I asked the commissioner when I talked to him. And, you know, he can say, okay, safety's first and all of that. But ultimately, that's a very private decision that people are going to have to make, like the one they're making in the NHL. Boy, oh boy, you you would really have to think twice about sending your 17-year-old to the States, wouldn't you? If you could even legally, if the border would even allow it, you know, depending on when it is. I mean, uh, if they tried right now, they would not, of course, be allowed to without being essential. So... Again, this is all depending on that even opening at that time. And that throws in a whole other list of questions. What happens if the league does start playing a different kind of a schedule without the border? And maybe this is why the league says that they have that they need to go all together or they can't go. Because just like that situation pair you described, that's not a specific player, of course, with that town. But pick any small Western Canadian town and then put them into a U.S. city. If they physically can't get there, well they're going to have to play hockey somewhere, and if they're looking at getting drafted in the NHL, they're going to want to have eyes on them. They're going to want to play somewhere. So does that mean then they can go and they can play for another team? Does that mean that all of a sudden junior A leagues are going to be able to have players because they, if they can't cross the border, then they need to play somewhere? Or even if a player here is want to go to, 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 to BC because numbers are spiking, it's an interesting case of, of what would happen with them. Because, again, I'm not on the hockey side. I don't know how those exact deals work with those players. Well, can Marcus Kelly and Kelly report? How does he Who get knows? here? How can he exactly. physically get here? Right. Yeah. And, yeah. I, you know, for example, you, you gave a great example there, uh, Perry, just kind of – you know, a mythical example, a hypothetical example, but you know, I know you've you've talked to a, a young kid from from here in Verdon and Grady Lane, who was a draft pick of the Spokane Chiefs. You know, I, I see him around town. I see him working out, and you know, I, he, it's an exact situation. You know, I haven't talked to, to Grady about it, but I think, boy, if I was his parents, you know that that's a tough decision. I mean, you, you know, you got a seventeen year old kid, um, you know, and a, a, heading to a foreign city. You're you're not within driving distance of your parents. I mean, if something goes wrong, like you get sick. You know, American healthcare. You know, I, there's just so many questions that surround this whole thing um, that it, it certainly is tough to to think of how it could work. But you know, Perry, you've been at this a long time, and based on the graphic we used for this, where you're wearing deer hair hide pads in your Portage Terriers minor hockey days, what? You've been sorry, this a and long just time. <laughs> and and what a photo to use. We've had some guests with some legendary sports icon shots, but I want to know, Perry, where that classic photo was taken. If you know what old barn that one would have been in, I think that was Centennial Arena in Portage the Prairie, the old rink. How old have you been there? Like twelve years old. Uh, yeah, I played there 12 and 13. <laughs> I said to Tammy, our graphics girl, I said, I'm going to send you Perry's headshot and a couple of things, but please use the picture. And it was titled Baby Bergson. That's what I had it titled <laughs> as in my email. I said, please use that. She said, yep, no problem. I'll make it work. Um, but as I was saying, you've been in, at it a long time. But in the last couple of years, okay, you and me, you know, we, we come on you know together and we start doing these pregame shows and these videos. But well, we've had the mumps go through with – Players and coaching staff members, the Brandon Wakings, get the mumps. Uh, we've had the Fog Bowl, where a game was canceled in the middle of the game and postponed till after Christmas. And now this. 
is this not the strangest four-year stretch of Brandon Wheat King hockey it, when you look back at all of your stories? Like, is anything comparable to the strange situations that have happened over the last handful of years? Well, I talk about the five years I've covered. Year one, Western Hockey League Championship. Year two, they lose in the first round. Year three, they lose the second round. Year four, they lose. They don't make the playoffs. Year five, they don't make the playoffs because there are no playoffs. So I have seen everything already in five years on the beat. But you're right, that mumps thing, I think that that probably made them a little more prepared for this maybe than some teams because uh, you remember that year after practice, if you stayed around long enough, they would have staff coming in and wiping down every square inch of that bench, oh, yeah. every water bottle. You know, I think they learned a lot through that process. Especially because in Brandon, from a Keystone Center perspective, the Wheat King facilities, albeit they've been renovated, um, but they're not the biggest. You know, you don't have the vast room. Uh, everybody's in pretty tight quarters between the dry room, the dressing room, the weight room. Everything's pretty tight quarters. So it, you gotta you gotta try and keep the germs at bay. And you're right. I think Scooter and, and Rob and those guys in the dressing room did a pretty good job of keeping things contained during that month's uh, outbreak that kind of spread through a handful of teams, uh, including Swift Current, including Jordan Paperni, who couldn't come back and play in his return to Brandon because he was sick with the mumps, uh, negating all of Falco's hard work, making his welcome back video for the scoreboard. I still, as soon as the second you said that, I got sad all over again for that video. We would have had half that building in tears if I would have been able to play that video. The exact quote after from some of the higher hockey ups, they almost didn't want me to say it. They're like, Falco, you, you know the Paps didn't die, right? It was it was almost as if like an in-memoriam, but he he was so beloved, and the song, it was it was awesome. It wasn't in-memoriam. It was I, th- I thought it was really sweet. Anyway, um, but he was so beloved. I mean, fan favorite, and that was that was the worst, too, Paps. It, you know, that's been a bad stretch. Again, like you just talked about Goody and him, some of the some of the guys who deserve the recognition, you know, like when they don't get that last hurrah, you just kind of feel bad about it. But I guess it's one of those things, it's what are you going to do? Once again, you're listening to the Weekly Harvest Podcast, episode 27. Thanks to QCountryFM.ca. You can go and check out all of the previous podcasts and make sure to stay tuned. You can also stream Alexa, Google Play, or Westman TV channel 600, Q Country 91.5. Perry, last time you were on the Weekly Harvest Podcast with us, I know that we were talking about, uh, at that time, the 113, now the 125 alumni series, as we found out. Is there any plans to turn that into any kind of a book, or is where it sits online, the Brandon Sun, is that the kind of as, as, as uh, easy as people are going to get it digitally? Well, I think the Wheat Kings are interested in the book, and I think even the Sun is interested in the book. It's just nobody wants to pay for it. So, <laughs> you know, like without somebody to put up the change, uh, you know, to get them all compiled together, uh, it probably won't happen. But I'll tell you what, it's starting to be a pretty large volume, especially if you were to add the 15, 16 oral series and some stuff like that. But I like to think that when somebody does the history of the Brandon Wheat Kings for their centennial, uh, all of us will be long gone by then, that this will be one of their starting points is the information that, uh, that I'm providing from firsthand sources now. 
Certainly, and for those of you that are watching on the Q Country YouTube page, uh, Perry's shirt uh, was so bright he melted his webcam, uh, so we can no longer see his pretty face. Uh, but uh, we assure you, he is still there. Although there is no guarantee that that shirt is still on at this point. The camera uh, came but, back to life. Oh, there he is! As well, I you, say that, you didn't tell me it was off. <laughs> well, there he is. He's we back. thought I just Forget melted it. it. Thank God he actually did have his shirt still on. Uh, you touched on it, Barry, uh, about, you know, uh, next season and what it may bring. And we don't know when it's going to start, but if and when, as of right now, training camp in that September 15, 16 range, uh, there is a lot of promising, uh, players that are coming through the pipeline, drafted players, prospects, the import draft to just a couple of weeks ago. You did a, a follow up on a lot of the draft picks, list kids and everything. Uh, there are some serious battles moving forward to, into whenever Brandon Weeking Hockey returns. You know, it, it's funny. After COVID hit and I have nothing to write about, I'm thinking, well, what's next? <laughs> so I thought, let's start with the 12 top prospects of the team. And then I ended up doing all 11 of their draft picks and, and some other things. But boy, are they loaded in their system right now. I just can't even imagine what this next camp looks like. You know, there's probably going to be some veterans who lose their jobs just because there's so many promising youngsters coming in. You know, like Brett Hyland, the MVP of his league in Alberta. Uh, Hammond is the uh, MVP of his league in Saskatchewan. Um, like, these are guys that have to play here next year. And I found 12 of them, and I've got to think that seven or eight at least are going to make this next roster, and including how many of those 16-year-olds that they took in the first round with Rorsma, Danielson, and Zimmer. Yeah, at and least with, a couple. Of guys. With five 2,000-born players as well, uh, there's going to be a fight for the overage spot. Now, ultimately, you know, does Luca Berzan start in the pro ranks, similar to Ty Lewis, depending on what the NHL, the American League do? That could open up a spot. But there's going to be battles top to bottom, and even goaltending. Because Ethan Kruger, yes, he's had a, a great stretch of hockey filling in for Yuri, you know, in different stretches. But Connor Unger is another guy who's come along and, and really showed that he can play too. So top to bottom, there's going to be some uh, serious battles. And then you throw in the fact that Brandon decided to go and make our lives miserable and add a guy named Yaroslav Busijin in the import draft, uh, first Russians in Ivan Provorov. It could have been a lot worse. It Did you see worse. some of those names? That's like the only thing <laughs> I, I care about. I'm like, can I pronounce this and how 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 bad is it going to be? That That one was pretty tame. Yeah, it was uh, wasn't bad. Seven eyes. That's the. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Perry, obviously, we we look at you know the Dave Lowry effect, and and I wanted to touch on that with you because you know you you've dealt with a lot of coaches in your time, and both in Prince Albert and and in Brandon, and you know to me there was a lot of things that I really noticed you know instantly from Dave Lowry, and the biggest thing that I took was that his practices there was there was a lot of learning. Um, it was always. You know, if a player, say they screwed up a drill or they did something wrong, it wasn't a, you know, bang your stick, smash the glass, angry. It was, okay, why did we not do that right and bring the guys in? That's the first thing I took from the first couple practices, and I remember you and I discussed it. But what kind of other effects do you think Dave Lowry had on this team? Uh, of course, they went 24-4 and four down the stretch before the season was canceled. I think a lot of it was just the work ethic expectations he had for them. He told me one time that there's no such thing as any systems he was bringing in, that every team plays the same systems. I guess maybe I dispute that a little bit. Um, you know, certainly, I think that this Brandon team played from their own end out, 
as opposed to, uh, you know, a, a lot of teams in recent years, Brandon teams, it was five alarm fires going in the direction of the other net. And then it might be four, a four on O coming back. Uh, you know, it was real fire wagon hockey. Where this year, really, I don't know, Brandon, did you see as many odd man rushes this year? As previous years, no, and and that's one thing. Odd man rushes and and too many men penalties drive Pete Gerlinger up the wall. If there's two things that make Pete Gerlinger mad, it's too many men on the ice penalties and giving up odd man rushes. And the first couple years, uh, it was I saw him roll his eyes and and spin in his chair in disgust far too many times because, and at some point, it was the point shot that missed the net. And rattled off the end glass and came back the other way because nobody could hit the net. Uh, but I felt like team defense as a whole over the full 200 feet, 200 foot sheet of ice was just far. There was far more attention to detail. Yeah, you don't have your your Nolan Patrick's and your Reed Dukes uh, who are just kind of all offensive minded. But even the guys that were offensive minded, like. You saw Luca Burzan blocking shots, which I know the first time he blocked a shot, the bench just absolutely gave him the gears about how he just couldn't get out of the way of it. But, you know, guys like that, Ridley Gregg, you know, the defensive mindset as a whole was, hey, you know what, Yuri stands on his head for us every night. Let's try and give him some help. And I think when you look at the shot totals as well, yeah, there were some nights where they gave up quite a few shots, but they were pretty easy shots all from the outside. So, to me, the, the the team defensive buy-in was the biggest thing, and I think that plays a lot differently than what had been seen before. I know that uh, even going back to the Memorial Cup year where they hosted in, in 2010, and they lost, of course, what was it, 9-2 in the final to Windsor. I know that year uh, I joked at one point with Jacob DeSeris, the goaltender, I said, Boy, you guys, you guys score a lot of goals. And he said, "Yeah, I know. If, if you know, if I have a bad night and give up six, we'll just go score seven. And I don't know if that necessarily works uh, anymore. And I know even the the championship season, they scored a lot of goals as well. But you you can't do that all the time. Uh, and I think that was another big difference that that Dave had. But I think that at the same time, you can't discount what Yuri Patera did this yeah. year because it seemed like every night he came up with two ridiculous saves. You know that. It made the difference, especially in that 10-game winning streak. Um, you know, like they were beating the bad teams, but they were having really close games with the good teams, like the one nothing win over PA. You know, he was sensational in that, and that's what you were seeing. When they were beating the best teams, you know, they had the best goalie in the league. When we're when we're up in the box there, and uh, and we're of course watching the game go on. Um, whenever year you make a big save, because we have to scout out for the Tyler uh, for the team plant, but for Tyler plant for the save of the for the save of the night. And how many times, multiple times a game, we'd be like, "Oh, save of the game, save of the game," and then it'd be like twenty minutes later, "Oh, save of the game, save of the game." And, like he did that so many times. You're like, how does he keep outdoing himself? But you're right, he did. He had multiple highlights of the night. It seemed like every single game. Yeah, I, I have a question for you if, that, if it's okay. Go ahead. Chris, what's your game day looks like? You know, from you getting to work in the morning, <laughs> you know, how does your day come together? And then uh, you too, Brennan. Oh, uh, we're going to go that way. That's that. Wow. Okay. Well, for the. I'm 
question. Well, because like we never really talk about kind of like that, like behind the scenes, really like insider kind of stuff, right? But yeah, like from putting on the actual game day, like so first of all, wake up first thing in the morning and do the radio call-ins just because of me also being on the radio and having that background. So call in and do some promos to help get some excitement for the game. Uh, then once I head in, it's literally just starting to assemble. So if I don't already have the scripts, like I'm responsible for the Jumbotron script, everything people see on the on the video screen, uh, the public address script. I'm also the PA announcer, as you know. So I'm doing the script. I'm also the guy up there then reading the script. Uh, my game crew, they have a script they have to make sure either I do the day before or the morning of um, so that they know what's going on at the game that night. And then it comes down to just a whole lot of setup. Like, if it's a Friday, I got a whole bunch of Timbit setup we need to do for the Timbit dressing rooms. And uh, if it's Saturdays or if it's the different sponsors, like all the arena setting up, um, all the primetime handouts, all the promos that have to be done, uh, making sure the truck is washed. Like, I joke, it seems like I wash the truck more than I do almost everything else there. Just because every game day, you gotta make sure the truck is washed, that it's in the hitching ring, that the t-shirt cannon is ready to go, that it's charged up. Everything that people don't really think about, but I had unfortunately a couple seasons ago, the Plinko board, which I would never hear the end of, right? But like all those little games, like that's my responsibility to make sure that they're all ready to go. So when the door opens, that there's the the the, the little kids there, the sports teams handing out the programs, um, that you know everybody has a fun time, everybody's safe. Um and yeah, so to answer your question, it's a lot of setup and a lot of printing and scripts and just making sure it's ready. Um, and it's a very long day. Uh, and it's only like a two hour break. Um, and then you get right back and I'm there late afternoon and we don't leave until some nights it's about midnight. Um, cause once the game is done, as you know, there's a ton afterwards. There's the post game interviews. There's all the cleanup, the takedown and then stuff like that. All the video production we have to do with the save of the game, with the highlight of the night, uh, uploading all the highlights to the web, uh, uh to the website, all the social media channels, right? You got the Week Kings on Twitter. You got them on Facebook. You got them on Instagram. So everything we do goes across all those plus our website. So it's just just posting, 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 and then during the game, I'm trying to do the PA announcing, and we're doing the game summaries, and we got Crow tweeting while he's on the radio, and it's a very mumbled, just uh, a mumbled mess of. It seems like everything once the game gets started, but up until that, it's just making sure the arena is ready so that once the doors open, hopefully the night just kind of goes smooth. I know Crows is, is a lot different because he doesn't have to be there all day, but yeah. he does have to get ready all day. But it's different, though, because I get mo- because there's not as much physical setup. For example, at, at home, um, you know, when I set up my gear, it's the same gear I take on the road and at home, but at home it's a different setup. It's kind of more permanent and out of the way, whereas on the road it's kind of right there in front of me this at, at home at the at the west Oba place keystone center it's kind of set up a little more kind of out of the way so i don't really see it and then through different setups but if i if i set that up at a practice earlier in the week knowing say we have two home games i don't, I don't have to worry about it so it's done it's there it's all tested up but i do the 99 percent of my stuff the day before uh i try not to pack my day uh with like my game day with a lot of stuff um uh, so every day uh, on Q Country, there's uh, every game day. There's uh, two reports that run at noon and five, uh, just kind of teeing up the game. It's more off-ice stuff. What promotions are going on? Those I pre-record. I do them right here in in my office. Uh, and then every day there's the Crow's Nest report. Seven days a week, those get done. Uh, I do that right here too. I try to do a, maybe a couple in a row uh, ahead of time. Get a few days in advance done. Uh, and then what I do the night before 
thanks to Perry, uh, you know, I've kind of been able to follow a lot of other teams' beat writers. Now, I know there's not many of them anymore, but uh, a couple of great cities like Ryan McCracken and Medicine Hat, there's a couple of great beat writers still going, and some of them online as well. Uh, I try and, and read up on what's going on with the other teams, uh, see what the beat writers are saying, quotes that have been said. Regina, the leader post, does a good job. Uh, Saskatoon, Star Phoenix, not as much. They've got an earlier deadline, but I try and just skim through what's going on in the other divisions. Uh, I do read the message boards, which I've been told not to, uh, because a lot of times they may be poking fun at me. Uh, but I don't take it personally. I do read the message boards, though, to see what the fans are saying and, and what the rumors are going around out there. Um, if there's games the night before, I'll watch some of them, uh, parts of it. Like, say we're playing maybe not as much the Eastern Division, but if we're playing BC or an American team where I don't see them very often, I'll watch uh, a team uh, or a, a, a part of their game. And then if I can, I can actually show this somehow because I have the power. Uh, I have uh, a big book uh, that Perry has seen. This is my Crow's Nest book. Um, and each game gets filled out pregame with everything, stats, leaders, everything, and then I keep track during the game what's going on. So i got to fill out this book. I do it morning of game day so that it's all fresh. Uh, I usually get up. I sleep in a little bit on game days, which, much to the chagrin of Dave Lowry, he thinks it's absolutely ridiculous, and he never lets me hear the end of it. Uh, but I try to sleep in a little bit. Uh, I usually uh, watch uh, the Rod Peterson show uh, in the morning. Uh, shout out to Rod Peterson. He was our guest a couple of weeks ago. Uh, fill out my book, uh, and then um, basically I just lay around, take a nap, watch some TV, and I usually leave my house here in Verdon at about 2.30. So I get to the rink at 3.30. I uh, go set up my computer and everything else. I usually meet with Dave Lowry about 4 o'clock, do my interview with him um, or Donnie or Mark Derlego, grab the visiting coach, then I go up and sit with you guys, have a bite to eat, read through the lineups, that sort of thing get ready to send out some tweets uh, from the team account, um, and then just sit and wait. So when Pete shows up, we have a visit, and then, boom, it's right into it. So uh, most of my stuff's done the night before. Like Perry, I'm a night owl. I do a lot of my stuff at night and try not to fill my game days. But sometimes uh, it's different. Sometimes, you know, if I know there's something going on, for example, when Marcus Kelly and Kelly was making his return, uh, you know, I came in for the morning skate that day because I wanted to see, you know, who he was going to play with and that sort of thing. And it just kind of depends on the day. But, uh, it's it's a lot of fun, and I, I miss the fact that, you know, if I look in this book, the last time I wrote in it was like March 7th, I think, was the last time I wrote. Yeah, March 7th in a 4-2 loss to the Prince Albert Raiders, and the last time I called a goal was there was three minutes left. Braden Watts scored for the Ra- – or, uh, yeah, Braden Watts scored for uh, PA. That was the last goal I called since March 7th. So, so you know, got me doing public address in Verdon for the senior ball team, but that's as close as I've gotten to doing any play-by-play. So, you know, some old people, they'll sleep in and do crosswords, and then they'll eventually get their day going. Crow sleeps in, fills out his scorebook, and then he gets his day going. So, yeah, it's yeah. very tough being the radio guy. Very yeah. tough being the radio guy while well, we just got to do all that actual on setup. the road, too. Because when I'm at home, you know, the coaches and, and trainers, they don't know when I have a nap. But when I'm on the road, they all know where I am at all times. If I don't show up for, let's say, that pregame meal, if I show up early, eat the pregame meal, and disappear in a hurry, they all know that I'm off to take my game day nap. Uh, Aaron Rome used to call me Garfield uh, because the pregame meal was usually lasagna. So I'd come down and scarf down a lasagna and then head up into the rack and have a nap. So Garfield stuck. Scooter still calls me Garfield, and every once in a while I – I get called Fat Cat because of the big orange cat that loves lasagna. So it makes for some fun anyway. 
I think that like the, the hockey guys like to make a lot of fun of me. I get out of bed at noon every single day because I cover sports. And when do sports usually happen? All in the evening. Night, right. Yeah. So, you know, we have late nights in our industry, uh, not as late as they used to be. The deadlines here were 2 a.m. at one point. But after a game, I've got half an hour or so to finish my story. So when the game is over, I've got my story 98% written. And all I have to do is add quotes. So if you read the story and you think he must have been on fire when he uh, when he wrote that one, almost because uh, <laughs> the deadline right now that I just don't have any time to bugger around. Well, well and, I get a kick and there's and there's times, yeah, there's times that we try to like a game goes late and we're down there. We're trying to rush to get Perry just to talk to a player or the coach just to get him that one quote that he can then get his story in before the deadline. Because of course we want it to go to print as well. But yeah, I mean that's one thing that I couldn't imagine being up against a literal deadline. I've never worked in the in the press. I mean, um, like as to having to submit a story at a certain time like that, like you do all the time. Kudos to you. I get a kick out of it if, let's say, your plan post game is to interview Luca Burzan, and I've got him on my post game radio show, and you're running out of time. Uh, for fans, Perry will walk out on the ice and wave his clipboard at me and tap his watch and say, "Come on, get it moving. You're taking too long." <laughs> so if I, if I see Perry coming out on the ice, I know I got to get whoever I am hung up and off the line because he's got time to kill and I don't. So. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I know, Perry, we, we've touched uh, base a couple of times during this thing, but aside from work, um, I know you got <laughs> you got your first haircut and trim the other day. So did I and so did Falco. But what uh, what have you been doing? I know you're an avid cyclist and, and everything, uh, but summertime, what have you been doing outside of work to keep yourself somewhat sane? Well, I used to do a lot of riding, like pedaling out on the highway, and I'm at about 1,500 kilometers this year. That would have been a terrible year back in the day when I was racing, but I'm kind of enjoying it. I just get out and, uh, you know, just pedal and look around, and there's no rush anymore. I watch a lot of old Hollywood movies, 30s to the 50s, just kind of being difficult there, I guess. While you're riding around, I'm sure hoping that you're stopping at whatever garage sales you can find and helping pick up uh, future outfits for the crow's nest once those return. And so, so crow, we said crow's nest a number of times. I know, like you have your like, because with your last name, it's a natural tie-in. But you know, crow's nest on your book, crow's nest on the radio your reports. But we do those weekly videos, the crow's nest, and people might not know because I'm behind the camera. But it's the three of us who go out and do that. Just me filming and editing and putting it together with you guys in front. Uh, I really even just missed that at the end of the season the fact that like those stopped because even like that blooper reel when eventually i do put that one together <laughs> oh boy that one's like you know like one of those all-time uh, you know uh one of one of the all-time best memories too so it may not be appropriate for children oh we can never actually air it we can just show it for us but you remember the time that uh, crozy was late and i said okay this week it's the iceberg <laughs> yeah, and if it wasn't for the Winnipeg Ice, we would uh, probably have actually titled that one The Iceberg. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. I, I do I do miss being at the rink, and I think, I think that's the biggest thing that I've noticed is that the normality of everything is kind of gone. Have you found, Perry, that, I mean, I know in your industry you're still working regularly, but have you found it odd, you know, every day not really knowing what's going on like normally you know okay monday tuesday wednesday these are my days these are my days off has it has it bugged you at all that there's really no consistency to life right now well after when this first hit i sat down i thought okay what the hell am i going to do with myself if this lasts 
And I sort of came up with a, a plan of about 80 or 100 stories, about 60 of them actually weekend stories. So I had that sketched out. Well, I pretty much came to the end of that list last week. So now I'm it's seat of the pants again for the first time. Uh, so things are going to get a little more stressful around here. But well, I am going to continue the alumni series all, all summer. And luckily, I mean, sports at least is starting up again. You know, even if it means you got to start showing up Monday and Wednesday nights, hey, peewee ball, you can come and you can start tracking the, the Brandon Blue Jays. we got the game versus the Astros tomorrow night, or tonight will be a very exciting affair, so... At least we got some local sports starting. And, you know, Crowen, you kind of talked about it, too. And, and going back to the conversation even, like, 40 minutes ago now, uh, when we were talking about just, you know, about the return to play, um, you know, about how we look forward to it, about how for the players, how they want to look, you know, look forward to that. But also for the public and for the fans, like, th- coming to the Week King games, that's like a sense of community. That's a sense of of pride that's, that's, that's been instilled in a lot of people for a long time, like decades, right? People have had their same seats um, they've been coming to the weekend games uh, to get them back there and seeing everyone and in a social atmosphere safely. That is something that I know a lot of people are looking forward to. Um, beyond hockey, when they say it's just a game, it's just a sport. You know, of course, we don't want to move on and start playing if it's not safe to do so. But at the same time, it's going to be a part of the healing process is coming back out and being at the weekend games again and just cheering on as a community. I think the hardest part of this, Chris, is just not knowing when it's going to end. You know, are you going to start your season in October? Are you going to start it in December? Are you going to start it in January? We have no answers for any of this stuff. And that's maybe the most vexing part of it. You know, I think people were willing to stay indoors and at their house for a long time. And Manitoba obviously did a great job with this. But... I don't know. Like, can you ask people to do it for another six months or, you know, how are they going to react? Well, and and I I had this conversation and we mentioned it when we talked to Rod Peterson about, you know, depression and and mental health and staying sharp during this. You know, I had the discussion with my wife, who is a very active person, active in the community, active at work. and, And I think that there's a lot of people that don't have the luxury that say I do being on 10 acres or, you know, a full section of land with their parents and farm that you can walk around, you can explore, you can have animals like who would have thought that the, the radio guy for the Wheat Kings would have, a, you know, some cows and some chickens keeping him busy during coronavirus. But I have the luxury of doing that because, A, I've got nothing to do and B, I've got the space to do it. But I can't imagine if you lived in a in a small 600 square foot type apartment in a big city where going outside even is a risky thing. I mean, I can go outside here and I can do whatever I want and the odds of anyone seeing me or being anywhere near are very, very slim. So I think Westman is lucky that there are a lot of farmers. I think a lot of the Wheat King fans, it's a lot of the farming community, small town feel where you do feel safe going outside and maybe just going for a walk around your community. So I I think that benefits where we are right now as opposed to a lot of places. Um, But Again, it's the unknown right now, Perry. I mean, it's hard for anybody, you know, for example, for me, it's hard to plan life right now because, you know, normally by the end of August, you know, I'm kind of, okay, now the next few months I'm going to be pretty busy. So I got to have this done. I got to have this done. I got to have this done, you know, getting this uh, this house and everything ready for winter. But now it's like, well, I'm probably going to have time into September, October. Like, where do I go? Like, do I have to go get, you know, some new suits right away can i wait like you know there's so many questions that every day kind of bug me a little bit um but nobody seems to have any answers and i don't know if anybody will anytime soon but it's still july i mean we've got lots of time yet but 
I think that for me, at least is the biggest thing is that the unknown is starting to really irritate me a little bit. I try not to let it bother me, uh, but just not knowing it just seems so strange right now. Ultimately, we have no control over it. Yeah. Well, I, I really haven't let it bug me. Even during the early days when you weren't supposed to go out much at all, you know, I'd get out for half an hour, 45 minutes with my dog, and that was my social time. That was, yeah. I would get out. Funny thing about that dog, like everything else, it has a weekend connection. Um, we bought a place from the father of a former Wheat King, and he couldn't take the dog. So we got the dog out of the deal. It was actually and, written into a real estate deal. <laughs> I'd have to ask Tyler Pond how often animals are written into real estate deals, but <laughs> it's, it's a small world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Perry, we want to say thanks again for joining us here. Really do appreciate it. And I guess we'll have to get you on now uh, again in a few more weeks because we keep also going kind of the same circles now for the same guys that you're interviewing for the newspaper. It seems like we're getting here on the podcast as well. So I'm sure that'll continue as uh, as all this stretches. Yeah, and uh, don't forget, boys, i got 125 numbers for you if, uh, if you need. Well, we're certainly going to pick your pocket for those. I know you sent the email to to, to Chris and I with all your stories, and uh, I mean, I don't even know where to start. Luckily, uh, for next week, we are going to grab a guy that you've talked to several times. Uh, Wade Redden is going to be our guest next week. Uh, he's uh, uh, obviously one of the Wheat Kings' you know, favorite, a fan favorite, had a great NHL career, uh, was great in the community, good Canadian, Western Canadian boy. You've talked to him a few times, Perry, and, and we're happy to have him on. Uh, he works now for the Nashville Predators, actually. And uh, I reached out to him, and he was really good. He said, "Here's a couple of dates that work for me. Let's get her done." So I'm excited uh, for that too. Can, being a being a former yeah. Big Sense fan, so it'll be good. Hopefully, we can uh, keep following in your footsteps. Here's a, here's how good a guy Wade Redden is. Uh, you'll remember this, Chris. He dropped the puck at the opening game of the 15-16 season, the championship year. It was about yep. 30 or 32 outside that day. Um, so I met him upstairs. He was watching the game from uh, Kelly's uh, booth upstairs there, and he came down and met me in the hallway. There's no air conditioning there, so that hallway was 100 degrees. And he, I had 10 minutes of questions for him. He's standing there, and the sweat is dripping down his face, and I'm probably even worse. I was going like this just to wipe the sweat out of my eyes to do an interview. And he stood there and gave me great answers, and he's one of those guys that loved his time in Brandon. So I can't wait to hear what he says next week. He's a lot better than I am. And I'm going to be a lot better next week. I'm not going to fanboy over him. The first time I met him, I had my Sens jersey. I had him autograph and everything. It was so lame, but that was like my like second or third year with the team. And that was like one of my big NHL guys, right? Like back in the day. So uh, I'm, I'm still excited, though. But you're right. He's a very genuine, nice guy. Uh, so excited to have Wade Redden on the podcast for sure. Uh, this podcast, once again, though, if people want to check out any of the previous episodes, they're all online, qcountryfm.ca, uh, Q Country, your local source for all things country, Westman TV Channel 600, live streaming Alexa or Google Play, and of course, 91.5 on the FM dial, home of today's best country, the Wee Kings, Egg Reports, and so much more. And not just our podcast. Hey, have you guys, have you guys heard of this, by the way? I like this as I'm getting older. We also now have the Westman News uh, Update podcast. So this thing, I, I no longer have to wait for the top of the hour to now listen for my radio news every weekday at one o'clock i can just go and listen to it so not even plugging that they didn't ask me to i'm straight up becoming the old guy who is loving his news now and i'm searching it out so i like i don't have to wait i can just go and listen to the local newscast it's like the full four to five minute cast and it's every weekday so i really like that 
Well, hopefully, uh, Perry, we can stay in touch. Hopefully, uh, we can keep uh, keep the group chat going where we poke fun at each other. It's good for a laugh. And hopefully, sooner than later, we can all get back together in the rink and in the booth and uh, get Pete back, uh, back on the air and chat some weekend hockey, wherever that may be. Uh, and uh, hopefully, uh, you, know, you and, the, and the wife and the dog can keep busy the rest of the summer, and hopefully we'll see you in the rink soon. That would be great. And I am going to just show up at your house for supper one night. Hey, uh, we we have uh, we only eat omelets now that these chickens are laying eggs. So, hope you like eggs. <laughs> I've been bugging him for the eggs. He's like, easy, Falco. They got to get settled first. They got to get comfortable. I want to well, quality. I'm on my way. First. I'm on my I'm way just soon. Fling eggs out if I don't oh. know what they taste like. But I'll, I'll report back to you next week. Okay. <laughs> have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Be sure to follow Q Country and the Wee Kings on Twitter and Facebook for all your Brandon Wee Kings news. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Harvest.